We bring the news. We bring the action. We bring it live. This is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human, and my guest today is Jessica Webster. Our topic is the defiant power of the human spirit. Viktor Frankl says we are not the helpless victims of our drives, our emotions, our environment, or our circumstances. Instead, we have the human capacity to take a stand against our fate. He calls this the noetic faculty, the noose which translates as the spirit and remains intact and gives us the ability to choose our attitude. So the topic today, the defiant power of the human spirit, belongs to us all. It is found in all genders, in all races, in all ages, and in all countries. Jessica embodies the absolute proof of this extraordinary power, her attitude, and the noose that she finds to actually get on with her life. She was on this program on the 9th of May, and for those of you who did not hear the first program, I will introduce Jessica to you. However, I would really encourage you to download her previous podcast. Jessica's story is very inspiring, and judging by the questions and the comments I have received, Jess, you have touched many lives, and each time the podcast is replayed, more lives will be touched and more questions will be asked. I have assured Jess that it remains her choice whether she answers the questions that I ask. She assured me she would answer her questions from her own perspective. You have certainly evoked many feelings, Jess. So there, there are quite a lot of questions. I am asked wherever I go, actually. People are coming up to me and asking me questions. I actually almost feel as I need a little recorder by my side. Jessica is a renowned artist whose successful exhibition has just finished at the Goodman Gallery in Cape Town. And I have questions for you about that myself. In 2006, Jessica survived a violent attack at the family's holiday home on the coast, which left her partially paralyzed. She fought bravely for her life, enduring long periods of rehab, which still continue today. How would you explain your injuries today, Jess? Um, well, I think partially paralyzed is is right. Um, it's actually called incomplete paraplegia, which means um, I am paralyzed from the waist down, but I have regained some uh, use of muscles. So I am um, able to walk on crutches um, and kind of hobble along, and that's how I get around Joburg. Luckily, I can because um, it's not entirely wheelchair-friendly. And then at home I use a wheelchair and I paint in my wheelchair and I cook in my wheelchair. And a wheelchair is actually a wonderful thing. It's amazing how your perspective can change. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it gives you a lot of freedom. Do you keep Mm. your wheelchair in your car? Um, I have two wheelchairs. One's a kind of a home wheelchair and then I um, have a lovely sports chair that um, I take if I travel overseas or if I'm going to a big art fair or something that's going to require a lot of movement. Um, and quite uh, far distances, and then I take that wheelchair with me. And Jess, how did you feel after the last program? What sort of reactions did you get from people? 
Uh, well, I was very surprised at um, how many people had listened in, uh, wittingly or not. So a lot of people um, heard it um, because they were listening to Chai FM. And up, up, I popped, and <laughs> <laughs> um, and very, very positive. Obviously, my whole family were all listening, and a lot of them said um, there were aspects of this that had never, they hadn't been aware of that I'd thought about. You know, with family, we all tend to ignore each other a little bit, yes. um, and it was insightful for them to to hear more in depth. Um, Issues that I deal with and uh, that you had um, evoked by by the kinds of questions you had asked, especially with the relationship between art and trauma. Uh, yeah. And Jess, since I've spoken to you, I actually received uh, an email from your grandparents, Tim and Peter Bantock, which was lovely, and I spoke to your mom, and it was actually so nice um, reconnecting. Um you know, you previously said that you'd asked sometimes, and you still ask, why me? And then you ask yourself the questions, why not me? Mm. And one of the questions that came through was, when you ask yourself, why not me? Um, how do you get to that point where you can actually ask that? The person who asked this had herself been severely injured and was not able to ask yet, why not me? Well, I think it comes through um, careful observation of your surroundings. It's very easy to um, get lost in your own sense of loss and get lost in your pain. But simply by looking outside of yourself, whether you're sitting on a park bench or you're at the mall and you're asking, you know, it's often when you see everybody dancing or walking around or that you feel, why me? But look at these people. Um, look at everyone going about their day. Um, be sensitive towards the fact that they're living their lives and that um, they might have their mobility. And then ask yourself, if you would rather they have your injury. And I think the immediate inner um, ethical way in which we all have a sense of right and wrong, um, you, you would get that immediate sense of, I don't want that person to go through what I'm going through. So why not me? Um, an amazing yeah. answer, Jess, mm. really. Do you feel that your art... Your mind, your creative mind, allows you to see beyond mm -hmm. what perhaps this person was seeing when she just said, why, why me? Do you think you're looking at people in a different light because of your art? Well, I think um, any, for any painter or any artist, um, you learn to look um, most of all. So you're very aware of the visual details of your surroundings. And you're very aware of the associations those details have. And you do become, I think, very compassionate and very empathic towards your surroundings. And I've said this in talks I've given before, that you don't need to be an artist to, to practice an art of the everyday. Um, and I think it's simply, it's, you know, there's one thing to grieve about what has happened to you, and you're totally allowed to do that. But there's another way in which um, a discipline is needed to keep your awareness um, outside of yourself and, and keep on looking um, and find those small details because that is where um, you regain a lot of what you have lost. 
That's an amazing perspective, quite honestly, and I'm sure a lot of people will recognize that. If anyone would like to SMS us with comments or questions, you can SMS us on 34519 or WhatsApp us on 062-148-2374. Jessica and I would love to hear from you. Viktor Frankl said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In this space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom, our freedom to choose our attitude. It is the only freedom that we actually have. There's also saying that people may hear your words, but they will feel and learn from your attitude. And what you have just said now really uh, is, is your attitude between that stimulus and response. We're going to break shortly for a, um, a, an advert, but I just want to tell you a bit about it first. It's going to be about Jerry Long, who was a young American man um, who dove into um, a, a canal in America with a group of friends. He was a very uh, sporty young boy, 17 years old, and broke his neck, and he was paralyzed from the the neck down. And he's going to tell his story shortly with Viktor Frankl on a YouTube. Um, uh, Jess, your exhibition at the Goodman Gallery is now over. I believe it was very successful. What is your next project? Um, well, I've got, um, it's good to give oneself a month or two off um, to to absorb what has uh, the responses from the last show and then to to build up a a mental scape of the next um, body of work to come. And very um, luckily, um, in this, precisely in this gap, um, I've been invited to curate um, a very special emerging painters show at Turbine Art Fair. It's a special show that happens at the Art Fair um, where I've, I've had to find um, and discover new and emerging talent in painting and curates a, a beautiful big show, um, showcasing everybody there. Wonderful. You yourself saw that sign go up that mm. says we've got an advert now, <laughs> so we're going to go on with the turbine fair afterwards. Okay, I know, Dr. Franco, that you have written that there are three ways to find meaning, one being in adopting an attitude toward a fate which cannot be changed. And in Jerry's case, uh, it seems to me that that's what logotherapy has done for you. You have a permanent uh, disability, a severe disability. There's nothing much you can do about that. But what you do have control over is your attitude. Could you tell us how logotherapy helped to shape your attitude? I think that it's important to remember my attitude adoption and the logotherapy that I employed initially was without any knowledge of logotherapy. I had not read any books and I had no acquaintance with it, but intuitively... I modified my attitude toward the situation. In one particular line that, that Dr. Frankel quotes fairly often, I broke my neck. It didn't break me. I had a physical constraint that I had to deal with over which I could not change. I had no ability to suddenly walk again. However, I did have the ability to choose to live and at least attempt a meaningful life in spite of that physical disability. I think that substantiates uh, your theory that within uh, the human being is this innate 
searching for meaning. And it sounds like that's what you were doing, Jerry. And then when you read Dr. Frankel's work, it all fit together. This, it, this was exactly how you had been thinking. Did you it, have that It began feeling? to fit together. And as I've written, when I read his book, I was overcome with a sense of deja vu. Mm -hmm. Because several times, many times, he spoke of reactions and the way he felt and the way he interpreted his experiences in the concentration camps. And repeatedly were the times when I identified personally, I felt the exact same way when I lay in that hospital bed as he did when he was in that concentration camp. It's also a compliment, what uh, Jerry says, a compliment uh, for logotherapy in a strange way. Inasmuch as usually uh, each one who comes up with a uh, so-called new therapeutic uh, or other scientific approach prides himself to offer something new, as he as I said right before. Whereas we are proud to just dig out, to just making people more aware, more conscious of something that has been within themselves, built in, as it were, all along. Mm -hmm. The wisdom of the heart, the sapientia cordis, that it is called, even referred to in the Psalms. Uh, man, due to, uh, forgive my shifting the terminology from the Psalms, to, to logotherapy, what I am used to calling the pre-reflective ontological self-understanding is just that the fact that man knows all along intuitively, as he put it, Jerry put it, intuitively, uh, what life is all about. That life is <coughs> a chain of unique situations uh, implying unique potentialities to be actualized in a meaningful way. So the possibilities to invest meaning in our lives, uh, or for that matter in each single life situation, is, uh, is uh, virtually infinite. Because as you uh, were hinting to before, right before, <coughs> there are various ways or avenues or uh, leading up to meaning fulfillment and if one uh, uh, avenue is closed then you have still others and it's up to the intuition of a uh, really alert spirit as that of Jerry's to find out if I cannot do that he said physically yes. over against uh, uh, mentally or spiritually or existentially for that matter if I cannot use this Avenue, I have to turn to another one. There are always possibilities and always alternatives. And he made Make use us. of this fact on the grounds of his intuitive, immense intuitive capacity. And that we are just verbalizing in logotherapy the uh, more or less unconscious, or better to say, implicit yes. wisdom of the man in the street. This is a compliment. This makes us proud. I wonder so it's calling uh, forth the potential. Pardon me? Calling forth the potential that, that is within the, the human The awareness being. of the potentials inherent as potentialities waiting to, be, to become actualities. Right. I think your quote in Man's Search for Meaning is um, that we should not ask what we can expect from life, but rather what life expects from us. And right. This is a Copernican switch turning the 
great, may the greatest question on the lips or in the hearts of any human being, albeit more often than not on an unconscious level, turning this into, into the reverse. Actually, there is implied the fact that actually we, it's not up to us to ask the question what is the meaning of life, but upon closer scrutiny we might become aware in the final analysis that we are those who are asked, that life is asking questions to us. Questions we can answer, have to answer, but can answer only, not by verbal uh, uh, replies, but by action, by doing something. Each situation confronting us implies a question. But this question can only be answered uh, by our deeds, by our uh, acting, by our, not to say, our behavior. And if need be, if the situation uh, necessitates uh, to just to shoulder it, because we cannot do anything about it, for instance, a, a more or less permanent handicap, in such a case what we can change is ourselves. Changing in the sense of rising above the situation, growing beyond ourselves. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Finding Human. I'm Sue Jackson and my guest today is Jessica Webster and our topic is the defiant power of the human spirit. We have just heard uh, a marvelous YouTube with Jerry Long and Victor Frankel and quite honestly, uh, Jess, it speaks very much to me about you. Your, that's the way that you intuitively, you searched and dug out the, the wisdom of your own heart. Um, and found your attitude. And I don't think, did you know about um, Victor Frankl or Logotherapy before then? Yes, it was one of the first books someone gave to me. Um, uh. Uh, and uh, searching for meaning or the meaning um, to be found. And um, it was, I found it difficult to read at the time. I'm sure you were probably angry almost mm. with it at the time, were you? Well, um, you know, in, in a state of shock, there's mm. very little meaning or even the meaning of meaning seems mm. um, uh, unachievable. So I struggled. I wasn't at a, a point yet. But, uh, of course, since then, I've read a lot of articles, haven't read a full full book, um, and, you know, learned quite a lot about him at Lamud. Okay. Mm. Well, you are have intuitively brought his work into your own soul. Yeah. Now go on and tell me about the Turbine Art Fair which we mm. were discussing. Yes, so um, it's it's a really special platform that's been created. The, the company that um, uh, creates the event every year, the Turbine Art Fair, is called The Forum and their CEO, Glynis Heislop, is an amazing patron of the arts. And um, she she has two special shows um, that happen at the same time as the fair. So the fair is very commercial. It's about galleries um, selling work, and especially work that is under 50,000 rand. But she uses that opportunity for um, for emerging artists to be seen. So there's two big 
big shows that take center stage, um, and one is the Emerging Painters show, and that's the show I'm curating, and the other is called Fresh Produce. That which sounds is very exciting. That yeah. the new emerging artists for you? Yes. Yeah, so for the emerging artists, you know, and it's a painters show, so they picked the right uh, person because I'm, you know, obsessed with painting. Um, and the, the forms of emotional and deeply psychological meaning that happens in the acts of painting. Um, and uh, it's been a long process of, of looking at artists and artists sending in their submissions, a lot of whom we had never heard of, um, who were working outside of Johannesburg, um, going out to meet them, um, looking in their studios, there's one guy, uh, Tatu and Corsi, who's an, an completely untrained. He's the, our only, um, you know, he comes from no arts education background um, on the show. And he's painting from this shack in Kotema. But these works that have um, the presence, um, just by being in front of these large-scale portraits of African legends, which are so, at the same time, it's a, a traditional subject, but he's made it very contemporary. It's in monochromes of black and white and these shimmering areas of color, um, of not of color, of surface. And, um, you know, very, very modernist works. I, I think he's a genius that he's coming up with this stuff from, you know, in relative to Johannesburg and the art scene, it's, it's like coming out of nowhere. So it's very exciting for you to mm. be involved in this. You mm. know, it makes me think of um, that we don't always understand art. And yet there was this article, was it in the Star magazine in Cape Town, perhaps? By the Argus. What, the Argus. Yes, yeah. Okay, I can't really pronounce this word, so excuse me, but uh, Sobahali Somhalaba. Is that right? Oh, that was in the Times, yes. The Times, yeah. okay. Wrote, bravo, Jessica, I respect you. When I read the story of Jessica Webster, The Garden of Darkness and Light, on Tuesday, I felt anger and pain about what happened to her. I have a great deal of respect for her for articulating a painful episode in her life the way she did. I will visit Goodman Gallery to view her work, even though I have zero knowledge of art. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's marvelous. Look at, you know, yes. you open someone's eyes to art and the message it can uh, give, you know. Yes, well, I think um, painting um, as a particular art uh, doesn't require any education to um, everybody knows. Again, if we're talking about the noose. Painting is an excellent field in which to practice your noose and your intuition because you know immediately, wherever you're from or whatever kind of educational background you have, you know immediately when you like a painting or not. Mm. I think what isn't impressed upon the public enough is that your noose and your intuition matters. Your spirit. Mm. It matters when you judge a painting and it counts. Um, you can have a whole lot of experts loving a single painting because it means this and it means that. Um, but actually what counts is when society agrees, we love this work. And you need, as, as I'll say again, you don't need an arts education to see that. You know, you can feel it in your bones. You can. You're so right. And I, I feel the same as with words. If words speak to you. You can pick up something and immediately you'll know if it's going to speak to your soul or not. Exactly. Now, Jess, you did a, a walkabout in a good, at Goodman Gallery in Cape Town lately. 
But what absolutely amazes me is that at the same time you were handing in your PhD, <laughs> which was on art philosophy um, yes. uh, at WITS. Is that right? Yes. And I can't believe you were doing the two at the same time. Oh, I can't believe it either. <laughs> you know, the, you know how all these things happen together at once, um, and it just happened to. Um, and it was—it's been a, a hectic year. Um, it hasn't been easy, but it's—it's it's all gotten. It's all been done, and it's been done yeah. well done. <laughs> now, tell me, go back to that art gallery. What uh, did you go on your wheelchair at the Goodman? At the Goodman yes, Gallery I did. in Cape Town. Yes. Were people curious uh, to find out your story or were they more curious to actually ask you about your art? Um, I find in the gallery setting, people are more interested in my art. Um, You know, my story is, I think, important um, and it's an interesting context in which to view the work. And especially for the public who don't usually visit galleries, Mm -hmm. it gives them an in, um, a way of approaching the painting. Um, Because I think galleries, you know, these huge scale, um, very white cubed places can be very intimidating for the public. So my story isn't in, but I find your your uh, regular art goes don't seem to notice it so much. I think there's such a variety of people in the art world from of every size and shape and every belief system and it's the radical thing about arts is the way everybody um it's such a strong community of everybody relating across all these boundaries that someone in a wheelchair is is just someone else, you know. <laughs> Which for you is must be quite a rewarding feeling that at least it's your work that's being focused on. Oh yes, you know, there's a concern that um, you don't want your story, and I think a lot of um, disabled and I know for a lot of black artists, it's a concern that please don't see my background um, as the main thing. I want you to look at at my talent and what I've put together as an artist. Um, and you get a bit of both, and it's it's that's fun. I think when, in whatever way someone is able to access your meaning and for them to create meaning, is fun. Mm. And and you, the artist, should also leave um, those doors open. So you are open to people asking questions um, and being curious about you and your art. Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, does an event like that leave you exhausted afterwards, or is there also a feeling of euphoria mixed in with it? Oh, totally. Exhaustion and euphoria, um, definitely. Um, it's a very um, high-wire time. Um, you feel so energized um, and quite overwhelmed. You feel very exposed. So that's all these words with E, mm. energized, mm. exposed, and exhausted, and euphoric. Um, it's an amazing, all with E, and and uh, and you know if you put that in with the ego, I mean, look yes. at that, they all tie in. <laughs> well, it is. I think it's is a time that can be very uh, fraught because it's so connected to your ego, and whoever you are, we've all got it. We've all got an ego, and you know, you paint and paint, and you work away as an artist for two, three years on a show, very um, in a very isolated way, often. And it's very much not about your ego. If you're too involved with your ego, you're not going to create good work. Mm-hmm. Then comes this month. Um, of exposure. And ex- totally centered um, where your ego can get so entangled. So it's a, it's a, 
You know, you've got to breathe deeply <laughs> and um, just censor yourself throughout the thing. But um, I think it's especially strange for artists the way we work in such uh, extreme difference ways between working in the studio and then being being exhibited. Um, and I think that's an actually an interesting subject, that very, very extreme duality that I should focus on in my writing and what it does for, you know, your character. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you've got to have a strong character, I think, to survive all of that, and that you have. The, I don't know if you know Dr. Rachel Naomi Raymond. I don't know if you've read any of her books. One of her books, My Grandfather's Blessing, is short stories but too lovely. And uh, I told people last uh, time that Jessica and I are actually related. Her great-grandfather and my grandfather are the same person. Uh, Jess is my cousin Christopher's daughter. Um, she, uh, Dr. Rachel Naomi Renan says, at the deepest level, the creative process and the healing process arise from a single source. When you're an artist, you are a healer. A worldless trust of the same mystery is the foundation of your work, your integrity. What is your opinion on what she says? Um, yes, um, definitely a creative um, activity and healing go hand in hand. But I think people must be aware that it's not a direct relationship often. Um, people think that if you're painting or if you're creating music that you, you are healed. Whereas actually um, the artistic process often means you delve into pain and into your trauma and into your history um, in ways that are quite difficult. It's a very difficult process to confront your authentic feelings about things. But it's the only way that an art artwork can resonate beyond yourself. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so there's a lot of pain involved in it. There's pain, but and that pain though is what creates not just interesting work, but also beautiful work, mm -hmm. um, work that goes beyond the surface of of what we think is beautiful. Um, that becomes particularly human. Um, you know, we can paint a, a beautiful landscape, but um, the humanness of that landscape or the aliveness comes from an artist recognizing themselves. Um, within that process mm. and that's not always easy not at all we're once again breaking for an advert Jessica knows this by now and she sees the, the sign go up and she knows <laughs> <laughs> the best part of your day at the heart of your community all the talk all the music all the news Hi FM now, there are a few questions that have come through. First of all, last last time we discussed that in 2015, you were awarded the Oppenheimer Memorial Trust, which was established by Harry Oppenheimer, I believe, in honor of his father, Ernest. Now, what is that trust about? Um, it's, uh, it's one of the um, uh, very productive and very helpful and fruitful and biggest um, award programs going on, I think, across South Africa. Um, the Oppenheimer um, Trust, uh, which is a board, look for um, researchers and intellectuals and artists who are doing something, I think, a extra special with the, either their master's or their PhD. And then it's a very gener generous award. It allowed me to live 
and to work and study um, very free from having to find outside sources of income. That's amazing. Mm. Um, then the Mellon Postgraduate Mentoring mm. uh, Program, I see this is uh, work in painting and academia, yeah. and that this is given for excellence and exceptional scholarship to mm. candidates of a higher caliber with visionary ideas. Mm. Now, did you apply for this, or did they notice your yeah. visionary ideas? You, what? You, your, your own supervisor, who is seen as the mentor, um, is someone who, who he'll put you for. He or she will put you forward um, from from there. Um, group of students that they uh, are supervising, they see that someone is especially deserving of extra funding, but also has a project that the Mellon um, Foundation would like to have their names attached to. So my supervisor, uh, Professor Gerrit Olafia, um applied on my behalf, and then I, I received that award as well as the Oppenheimer. So, I mean, both really are quite amazing awards to receive. Yes, yeah, you know, very, very um, happy and very grateful to those institutions. And a great honor. Yes, it was. Amazing. Right, now we have a few questions. Do you believe in destiny? These are questions that have come in. Mm. And if yes, do you believe in a higher power? Um, it's, I'm sure it's something I struggle with, um, Sue, and it depends on the day and my mood. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Don't we all? Yes, exactly. And I think um, that in itself is a destiny. Oh. Um, the fact that we we tend to, we are never the same from day to day or month to month or year to year. Different things happen to make you, you, you shift your beliefs slightly. And then you might find that you return to older beliefs that you hold. And at old time. questions. And that, that is your destiny. And mm-hmm. I think um, to keep that very wide landscape um, and scope of possibilities within your awareness um, is a destiny worth pursuing because um, you don't then get locked or stuck in ruts. Absolutely. Yeah. Then this probably goes on with that, although it came from a, another person. Do you feel you will ever get closure from this traumatic event, <clears throat> uh, mental, emotional, or spiritual release in any form? I must say, uh, um, you know, one doesn't want to be too definite, but I do feel I have closure on the traumatic event itself. Um, what I struggle more with definitely is the disability that's arisen from it. Mm. But in a strange way, I don't relate them too strictly because I think disability is something that affects a lot of people. And I have a lot more closer connections to people who've been disabled through all different means than I relate, sit and relate my disability to um, the traumatic event. Um, the traumatic event I have closure on, especially in South Africa, we have a set of um, conditions under which people are living that that have created um, a lot of violent crime and it at one hand it's it's devastating on the other it gives us South Africans um, insight into how to find compassion and forgiveness that's yeah. another question that came up mm. Jess about forgiveness you you appear to have a lot of compassion for the perpetrators do you condemn them in any way or is there only forgiveness and then she goes on to say, I find it very hard to forgive. And yet you, who have suffered so much, seem capable of forgiveness. Is this something you needed to work on? 
Um, again, it, it, it can change. Um, I think it's also very much based on your specific experience. Um, mine was that the, the young men who attacked me were very young and very impoverished and in rags. And there was something, I suppose, that motherly or maternal instinct that was um, came through for me during the experience that I felt so much pity. Um, Even I, during the experience? During the experience. Oh. Um, and I think that was, you know, specific to my experience of these these young men. Um, whereas I, that's not the same for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I think people not only experience it personally in different ways, but different things happen. And so I can't speak to that. But um, I think if my story can affect anyone, it is that the possibility is perhaps there. And I do feel complete um, empathy and forgiveness for those boys, especially since they were sent to jail. And one has died in jail. Mm. The other's there for life. Mm. Um, and another didn't go to jail. But as the prosecutor said to me, don't worry, he's going to die in the next few years because his life is just so bad. You know that there, Viktor Frankl said, empathy is about finding echoes of another person in yourself. Mm. And that's just what you've, you've mm. seen. Uh, you know, I can see the compassion mm. in your face mm. as you explain, mm. talk about this youngster mm. in jail now mm. and going to die in jail. Um, we're breaking again for an ad break. Stay relevant and up to date. Informed. This is 101.9 High FM. Um, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. I almost forgot who I was. <laughs> and my guest today is Jessica Webster. And we are talking about her journey and her defiant power of the human spirit. Um, and I'm asking questions that have come through and through since her last program. Um, this one said, this is from a creative person who is now confined to bed due to a degenerative disease. And she wonders if she will ever reconnect with her, her creativity. And she asks, Jess, how did you manage to move forward against such hardships? Mm. And do you feel guilty at the pain your parents suffered and probably continue to suffer because of watching their child in pain? Mm. Yes, um, definitely a sense of guilt. Um, uh, so many complex feelings in an experience like this. Um, as we were saying, you know, there's self-pity, um, there's anger, and there's definitely guilt that you have now become a burden, that you're causing such terrible emotional pain, and you rationally know that there's nothing you can do about it, but you, you still have those feelings. So I'd just like to deal with that first. Recognize those feelings as you are so that you can let them go at the same time. Um, also talk to your parents about it and tell them how you feel so that they can respond and tell you how they feel. And in that way, um, the relationship, um, as it gets stronger between you, allows you to let go of some of that the heaviness of guilt. And allows them to also share some of their feelings. Yes, and mm -hmm. by sharing them mm -hmm. together and the strength of that relationship, it lightens the load. It's, I think communication between yourself and your family is very important. Very important. Mm. And uh, one of the other questions, finally, mm. was, 
do you feel that your friends understand your journey? Not always. Um, I, I, I think that, the, by the way, I want to get back to that, that artist who's in bed, but um, they're not always, but I, the friends I tend to keep are ones who, even if they don't understand, certainly try to and are very sensitive towards it. Um, I haven't found very many insensitive people. Um, I, I've, it's just difficult that people can't understand exactly what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lonely thing to go through. It is lonely. You it have must to be it. lonely, very lonely. So accept, also accept that there's a loneliness to it that no one will understand, but that you can't expect people to mm-hmm. um, so I'm sure as your journey continues, you also surround yourself with people whose lives you can enhance and who can enhance your life. Yes, exactly. I think um, one of the things, positive aspects about an experience is that, like this is that you don't uh, waste time on f- fools. and um, <laughs> Fools, yeah. You know, uh, you, you, if especially if you're in pain or something feels like more of a struggle, you literally don't have time for um, superfluity, um, mm-hmm. shallow mm-hmm. stuff, stuff that doesn't matter. And you tend naturally to gravitate towards people who, with, for whom meaning is a strong aspect of their purpose, finding meaning. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I find myself surrounded by people like that. I've I've struggled to find fools. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, yeah. really amazing. Yeah. Um, just one other question that mm. came through was from someone who had been hijacked and assaulted and is now very afraid to go out. And she asked, uh, and she has been for debriefing therapy, and she asked, did you ever feel fear? Oh, going out again. Oh, of course. Um, you know, terrible um, stretches of time where I didn't really didn't want to leave home. You feel ser- terrible separate. You get also attached to your house. And the, the safety of it. So you don't want to leave the house because you're attached and you don't want to go outside because uh, it's this double whammy of that keeps you stuck in a, in a certain place. So what? Did, how did you work through that? Because she mm-hmm. said, how were you able... To, to actually come into the studio, she said. Oh, you know, I think I'm more or less, or at least I'm going through a good stage. I mean, living in South Africa is scary, so give yourself the benefits of the doubt. It, it is a, there is a risk involved. But it can't stop you ultimately from getting out of the house. I think you, you, one needs to continue with therapy to work through those feelings and continue um, speaking about it is very important, talking about your fears. And realizing, objectifying your fears so that they're not hovering in a dark cloud of any possibility Mm. can happen. You need to make concrete what you are scared of. And then also um, you have to start making small trips and getting out there and in a gentle way um, go to safe other uh, friends' houses. Go to a park um, or uh, on a sunny afternoon with lots of children. Go to safe places um, and you slowly become accustomed to the fact that life goes on. And I think Uh, quite honestly what you said about being gentle on yourself is very true. mm. You said you wanted to get back to the art. Yes, so the… I'm going to have to wrap up in a minute. So So this uh, artist who is stuck in bed and feels like they cannot do their practice, I do do have um, a strong message for that. And I've said this to a friend of mine, a visual artist who's gone blind. 
is that your art might be a material document or a performance or something physical, but that by no means is the, the beginning or the end of your artistic practice. The main work of your creative expression is in your mind. And whether you, you see um, from a psychological or spiritual point of view or um, physically you, someone who loves grace in movement, you retain that grace um, more strongly than in any, you know, pointing of toes or moving of body, as much as that's a beautiful expression. And it's that grace that you need to hold on to and find you know, the thousands of other ways in which to allow that to be expressed. That mm. is a wonderful mm. way to actually end mm. what, what you've just said. It's so important to realize we have choices. There are choices still. And as hard as they are to find, mm. there are other ways mm. of actually expressing what we are feeling, as you said, mm. find the grace within the movement. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Next week... I have got Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Levi Atzon, and he and I will be talking about the experiences of being in big celebratory crowds. And he and I always enjoy being together. We're now going to end by uh, with a YouTuber. It's actually a song, a tribute to Nasna residents, compiled by Wesley and Rita Harris, Nasna residents. It's about, uh, it's Michael Jackson's song. And, um, Oh, your your aunt Rosemary and my cousin Rosemary sent it through for us to play. Mm-hmm.